The Old Testament lesson is from Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. The epistle lesson is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel for this, the second Sunday in Advent, is from the book of St. Luke, the third chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Triconitus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. 
Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We begin with the words of Revelation 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, last Sunday we began our sermon series, this Advent and Christmas sermon series, focused on the colors of Advent and Christmas by drawing our attention to a very prominent Christmas color, and that is the color green. Do you remember what the color green symbolizes? Green is the color of life. And when we look at the color green during the Christmas and Advent seasons, we're reminded of the life of our Lord Emmanuel, God who took on human flesh and blood to be our Savior. As we look at the color green, we're also reminded of the life that we have as a result of the Spirit of the Lord working in our lives through God's Word and through the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper. And as we also look at the color green, we're reminded that we are going to be ever green. And we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, promises you and I and all who believe in him that we will ever live with him, so we'll be ever green, so to speak. Well, this morning, we turn our attention to the color purple. Now, purple's not a prominent Christmas color, is it? But it's certainly an Advent color. Purple is the color of royalty. According to an article that I found on Live Science, the color purple has been associated with royalty and power and wealth for centuries. In fact, Queen Elizabeth I forbade anyone except close members of the royal family to wear it. 
Purple's elite status stems from the rarity and the cost of the dye originally used to produce it. You see, purple fabric used to be so outrageously expensive that the only ones that could afford it were rulers, kings, and queens. The dye initially used to make the purple came from a Phoenician trading city of Tyre, which is now modern-day Lebanon. Fabric traders obtained the dye from a small mollusk that was found only in the Tyre region of the Mediterranean Sea. And the work to produce this dye was extensive. In fact, it, it, meant, that, it, it meant that they needed to collect about 9,000 mollusks just to get one gram, one gram of purple dye. It was of greater worth than even gold in its day. So purple and purple clothing were only worn by the imperial classes. Purple, then, is the signature color of kings and queens, people who live in palaces. It's for the elites for who have regal status. Purple's not a color, is it, for the indigents of the lower class who might be born in a stable like Jesus, the son of a carpenter? And yet purple is one of the primary colors of Advent. I mean, you can look up at the sanctuary here in the chancellery, and you can see it that the pyramid on the altar is purple. You can see that the, that the linen here on the pulpit is purple. You can see that I put on my purple stole. And oftentimes when you walk into church, you'll look at an Advent wreath, and you'll see that the, instead of having three blue candles, they have three purple candles on the Advent wreath. And as we look at the color purple during the season of Advent and Christmas, we are reminded that purple is the color of royalty. It reminds us that it's time to prepare the royal highway because the King of Kings is near. As a prelude to our considerations this morning, I'd like to share with you two portions of God's Word. These passages speak of our Savior's royalty. In Luke 1, we read, and some of you who are here on Wednesday night will recognize these words, but the angel Gabriel is announcing to Mary that she is going to be with child, and he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then we turn our attention to Luke chapter 23, about 30 years later in the life of Jesus. We read there, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over the cross saying, right above his head, saying, this is the king 
of the Jews. You see, from the beginning of Luke's gospel to the very end of Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus is called king. We heard the angel announce to Mary that her son will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and that his kingdom will never end. Thirty years later, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds greet him on that Palm Sunday shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And at Jesus' trial, Luke informs us that Pilate asks, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, yes, it is as you say. And lest we forget, Luke tells us that the soldiers draped Jesus in a royal robe. It was actually purple in color, and they mock him as king. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, the soldiers and the onlookers taunt, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And as we heard, there was an inscription right above his head saying, this is the king of the Jews. In birth and in death, Jesus is called king. Maybe the color purple linked to Jesus' crucifixion and death is the reason why in some cultures the color purple is a sign of death. It's a symbol of death. Devout Roman Catholics who are mourning the dead often dress in purple in the countries of Brazil and Italy. And as I was doing research for this sermon, I found that the Italians consider it rude to wrap a gift in purple paper. And an Italian bride would never use purple in her wedding. A royal king, descending from the line of David, was what the Jews were awaiting. Under King David, the nation of Israel had reached its pinnacle of power and prestige. But following David's death and his son Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel began to suffer from internal political strife and also spiritual bankruptcy. And as Israel descends, as it goes down in this downward spiral, they yearn for those golden years of when David ruled. And this longing for the return of a David-like dynasty is alive and well in the hearts of the people of Israel when Jesus is born. Wouldn't it be great if we just have another king like David, they wish? If only David, like, if only a David-like ruler would return and overthrow the Roman oppressors, life would be good again. And the prophets of the Old Testament added fuel to this burning desire. For there are many prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of a descendant of David who will establish a kingdom that will have no end. In Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet Isaiah foretells that a shoot will rise from Jesse, Jesse is David's father, that a shoot will rise from Jesse and he will rule his subjects with justice. The, Nathan, or the prophet Nathan says to King David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom forever and ever. And so the Jews pine 
for a powerful king and his kingdom to come into existence. And it's into this world, into this remembering and yearning world, that God's son, the king of kings, descends from his throne in heaven to become a man. Yes, the angel announced to Mary, your son will be a king. Even the wise men recognize him in that same way as they come to Jerusalem asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? But Jesus isn't the kind of king that the people of his day wanted. The Jews of his day expect a king who's going to arise and live in Jerusalem in a temple, a palace. Jesus comes from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Comes from the region of Galilee, and he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. The Jews of his day expect the king to be rich. Jesus is the son of a poor carpenter. The Jews expect a king who is famous and respected throughout the world. Jesus, in his day, was obscure. And he's mocked by the religious elite. The Jews expect a king to ride in Jerusalem in blazing glory. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. The Jews expect a man of war. Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace. Jesus is not, he's simply not the king that the Jews envisioned nor wanted. And what a disappointment Jesus is to them. What a letdown. I mean, as they observed Jesus' life, many of the people of his day thought that he was a lunatic for claiming to be God in the flesh. And certainly others thought of him to be a liar. And only at his death do they call him king, king of the Jews. But that's just a cruel, humorless joke. Is the perception of Jesus and the reaction to him any different today? Many people miss the royal king and refuse to submit to his rule because Jesus simply doesn't comply with their expectations. His humbling birth, his lowly life, his humiliating death, it's just too much for most people to believe. What type of savior king do people even want today? Well, to be perfectly honest, most people don't want or even see a need for a savior, do they? They're quite happy to just simply go through life day by day. Life's pretty good. Well, for the most part, right? And if they are searching for something, they're searching for something other than a savior and a king like Jesus because he simply doesn't meet what they want in a savior. Oh, if he would come and heal all their diseases and grant all their biddings, then, oh, maybe they would believe in him. Oh, if, if he would be someone who would make them financially secure and provide for all their needs... Oh, then they might believe in him. Oh, if he would just insulate them all from that big bad world in which we live and nothing bad would ever happen to us, well, we might want a king like that. Or we want a king who will accept us and who will just simply affirm the preferred lifestyle that we have without judgment. We might worship such a king. 
we might follow such a king. But the king that Jesus is, the one that's revealed in the scriptures, I don't know. He's kind of irrelevant, isn't he, to our life? We would all do well to listen to the proclamation of John the Baptist, who comes proclaiming, hear ye, hear ye, the king comes. That's what we heard in our gospel reading for today. He said, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John's call is a call to repentance. It's a call to repent of our sin. That's how we prepare ourselves for King Jesus. It's an exhortation to acknowledge your own sin in your own life. And to recognize that Jesus comes to not affirm your sin, but to forgive you of your sin. Not to develop your own identity of who you are, but to find your identity in Him. For He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're to live a life that bears fruits, John says, in keeping with repentance. It's a call to live life for the king, not for yourself. And that then means sharing what God has given you with others who are in need. It means being fair in your business dealings. It means loving other people as even God in Christ loves you. Purple is not only the color of royalty and death, but purple is also the color of repentance and that's often one of the themes that we hear throughout the season of advent and christmas repent for the king is at hand we who have eyes of faith eyes of faith given to us by the holy spirit and our holy baptism and sustained in us through his word see the baby born in bethlehem as the eternal son of god for that is who he is We believe that this Jewish man who lived in obscurity is the long-awaited son of David. We trust that this pathetic-looking individual who was mocked and ridiculed and beaten and tortured on a cross is the Savior of the world, and he's the King of all kings. Indeed, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. And it's this king that we worship. It's this king that we bow before. It's this king that we serve day by day in our lives. And it's this king that even Satan and death must bow before. St. Paul writes, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So do not be fooled by our king's unpretentious demeanor. This humble carpenter's son whom we see lying in a cattle's trough in Bethlehem as an infant and then later as a grown man hanging on a a cross, an instrument of torture, is a powerful and victorious king, despite all appearances. Listen to the description of our king in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. 
and in righteousness he judge and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of, of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has it written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is a description of the king. Jesus Christ. But this description of our king is anything but meek. It's anything but weak. In symbolic and graphic language, our king is described as sitting on a white horse. His eyes are blazing with fire. He's a mighty military leader who leads his heavenly army into battle, and it's victorious battle. And the weapon that he uses to defeat his enemies is the sharp sword that comes out of his mouth. In other words, his word. And on his head sits a number of crowns Not just one crown, but many crowns, because he has triumphed over all of his enemies. Even Satan and death are forced to surrender and acknowledge his reign over them. And he is dressed in a white robe that's been dipped in blood. Blood from the wounds that he suffered in battle. And it's on this robe that is inscribed the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. The king's troops follow on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Doesn't that description of the army kind of strike you as odd? Their clothes are white and clean. Only the king's is stained by blood. Because you see, it's the king alone, King Jesus alone, who has fought and won the battle for us. And that's why his clothes are stained with blood. And the army simply celebrates his victory. Purple is the color of royalty. The color purple reminds us of whose life we are celebrating during the seasons of Advent and Christmas. It's the life of a humble king. He's a king who dies, seemingly in defeat, and yet he rises from the dead, victorious and triumphant, promising that all of those who follow him, who follow in his train, will also be victorious too. And so now we wait We wait with anticipation, preparing ourselves with repentant hearts for the glorious return of the triumphant king, who is your king and my king, who is Christ the king, who is the king of kings. And so we heed the words of John the Baptist, prepare the royal highway, for the king of kings is near. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.